Uh, today's the last Sunday of the church year, the Christian church year, and uh, we're going to wrap up today our four-week series called Standing on Shoulders. Next week begins our Advent series, which is going uh, to be great. Um, this series, this current series that we're wrapping up, is meant to be a time for us to kind of consider other perspectives that will help us to see Jesus more clearly. It's been called Standing on Shoulders, How Lives Well Lived Help Us See Jesus. And I've invited people who are followers of Jesus, but are coming from perspectives or traditions that are probably different than most of our traditions or perspectives. So we had a Dominican nun who shared with us two weeks ago, Sister Maximilian Marie, and what stood out to me about what she shared was how the specific longing in her life, specifically to be a mother and a husband, I mean a mother and a wife, whoops, mother and wife, um, how that has, how her response to the love of God compelled her to take that specific longing and offer it generally, to be a mother to all, to... Uh, espouse herself essentially to Christ. Christ would be her forever companion. And, and then the next week, last week, Rabbi Joshua Rubenstein was here, a rabbinic, a, a messianic rabbi, a Jewish rabbi who's embraced Christ as the Messiah. And he kind of went the other direction, which was interesting. He talked about um, the Jewish backgrounds of the Christian faith, which I have long appreciated. I have long appreciated, I've long embraced as like, clearly this is our background. This is where we as a faith have come from. But what I didn't anticipate was, uh, and this is what I appreciated so much, was his, his challenging us to take this general appreciation for our Hebrew or Jewish heritage and make it really specific and love Jewish people today and challenge Jewish people today and serve Jewish people today. And he went, he just went there. He said, provoke them to envy, Right? And so he took the general, and he brought it really tight down into the specific. That was really uh, helpful and challenging to me. Today, our last uh, sermon or, or Sunday in this series, we're going to listen to a Christian pastor named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And here's somebody who responded to the love of Christ by engaging in injustices in our culture, specifically racial injustice. He's known as a civil rights leader from the 50s and 60s, but he's a Christian minister. He's responding. His engagement in racial injustice in our country was fueled to a significant degree by his relationship with Jesus. And here's why that's compelling to me. Because I was introduced to Jesus in a tradition that really emphasized having a personal relationship with Jesus, establishing healthy spiritual habits, making good spiritual decisions, growing strong in a personal faith with Christ. Yes, occasionally we talked about issues of injustice, but it was not our emphasis. Therefore, often when we engaged issues or when issues of injustice were brought to our attention, the temptation was to either ignore them or to take the cue from the culture and fight back. King is compelling because he does not ignore the injustices happening in our culture, specifically the injustice of racism, but neither does he fight back with just a bigger stick. He demonstrates a profoundly Christian alternative to the problem of injustice. He follows Christ and shows us a way, a third way, some would say, to engage in injustice without succumbing to violence or just the, na, 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 I can't see it, act like it's not there. We need to stand on his shoulders. We need to stand on his shoulders. We have a lot to learn from people like Dr. Martin Luther King 
in regard to how we can effectively engage the brokenness of our culture. So we're going to talk about that today. It's just a simple, casual, comfortable conversation we're just going to have, right? Just kidding. This is like a big deal. This is like sticking your finger in a, in a wasp's nest to some degree. Um, we're going to bring up issues that are uncomfortable and challenging and complicated. And I don't think we're going to fix much today. But our hope is to have a conversation right here within the church that will spawn other conversations and hopefully compel us to um, engage in injustice in a way that is more like Jesus. To live lives that others can say, wow, they, they addressed that complicated, broken situation with such compelling creativity. And I just saw Jesus all about what they were doing. We want to be a church like that. And so here at the end of the year, yeah, we're trying to be a little bit, uh, we're, we're asking, we're allowing ourselves to be um, pushed. And we're, we're opening ourselves up to some provocation because uh, we, we want to be, be moved off of any kind of comfortable sort of place of, of uh, settled and continue to be encouraged forward in our pursuit of Jesus and making this world a better place, restoring all things in his name. So I want to invite several people that join me up here on the platform. Uh, would you welcome with me several from our community, Anglin, Stephen, and Sienna Grace. I felt like it would be a powerful thing um, when it came to this issue to have a conversation with folks just right in our church. Um, and um, none of us has, has a, like a corner on this. None of, us, none of us are experts on this issue, but we're hoping to kind of take a nod from King and then just interact around a few questions here uh, that he brings up. So, in case you don't know, this is Sienna. She's 18. She grew up in this church. This is Anglin. He's on staff with us here at Emmaus Church. He runs the Foundry, which is Lincoln's Youth Center. And this is Stephen Lenzian. He's on the board at our church. He's worked with at-risk youth for his, almost his entire career and currently travels around training people who do the hands-on work. Um, hands-on. That's a bad phrase to use in that context, right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Go hands-on. Hands, hands-off. Right. Um, all right. So they're going to they're gonna help me with this. And so we're going to consider a, a sermon that Dr. King preaches several times between 1958 and just about a year before he was killed in 67. And uh, the sermon is called A Knock at Midnight, and it's based on a teaching from Jesus in Luke chapter 11, which we'll put on the screen here. It's on page 725 if you'd like to see it in context. It's part of a much bigger teaching that Jesus offers on how to pray. And the point of this parable is to... Um, or teaching, it's not actually a parable, but the point of this little story that Jesus tells is to encourage us to persevere in prayer. And King knows that, and he acknowledges that at the beginning of his sermon. But he says, I'm going to take this image, and I'm going to kind of play with it a little bit, and I'm going to bring up some secondary truths that exist in this teaching, and that's what we'll focus on. So here's what Jesus says in Luke's gospel. Then Jesus said to them, so this is right after they ask, the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray. And he gives them the Lord's Prayer, which many of us are familiar with. Then he says this. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, friend, lend me some loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to see me, and I have no food to offer him. 
And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up. I can't give you anything. I, Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, some translations say because of your boldness, some translations say because of your perseverance, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So the language there is a little challenging. In other words, Jesus is saying, even if you're his best friend, that's not good enough reason. But if you just keep asking him, he's going to be like, ah, oh, okay. And he's going to get up and he's going to give you whatever you need. All right. So this is the parable that kind of launches King into this famous sermon. And here's his outline. We'll follow it together. The first part is the premise. The premise of the sermon is it's midnight. We'll talk about that in a second. Secondly, he offers this really compelling visual or this image, which is the image of somebody knocking on the door. Third, he talks about the problem, the problem that he's addressing. We'll make that clear. And finally, he offers a solution or a challenge to the church. Remember, this isn't the Washington, D.C. mall. This is Mount Zion Church. This is a sermon that King preaches in a church. All right, let's start with the premise. It's midnight. It's midnight. King says it's midnight in the social order. Vietnam's happening. Uh, the 60s are happening. It's midnight in the, in the um, psychological order. There's mental illness at a level that we've never seen before. It's midnight in the moral order. Relativism is taking root. Whatever you want to believe is fine. It's midnight. That's how he begins his sermon. In what ways, friends, do you see that it's midnight now in our culture? He says this 50, 55 years ago. In what ways does it feel like it's midnight metaphorically today? I think that a lot of the same issues are still at play. There's still a lot of injustice and prejudice, which is some of the main issues that he was addressing. There's right. still a lot of mental illness, probably worse, yep. um, or at least more widely spread. Mm -hmm. um, and there's still wars going on right. um, overseas. So yeah, yeah kind of yeah. a lot of the same stuff. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, so my notes here, because I put notes on here, <laughs> but um, really um, what I was going to address was um, people being scared, mm -hmm. um, being afraid to be uncomfortable, mm -hmm. um, worried about what people will think about them, um, being that it's easy to blend in, mm -hmm. um, hard to stick your neck out for people. Right. Um, pe uh, sometimes people see people as a threat where there is no threat. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of different things. Yep. Midnight in conversations or a lack thereof. Yep. Not right. a willingness to engage in those sort of issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Not a lot of actual conversations happening mm -hmm. about the issues that we're all thinking about. Much more accusations and pointing fingers and you get placed in that camp yeah. and you're one of those people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you must line up on all the issues, right? Something that uh, King says is a threat to justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, which is basically saying everybody has skin in the game. So there's a lot of different issues and there's too many to name. Right. Um, and maybe they affect you personally, maybe they don't, but it doesn't actually matter because if it's justice mm -hmm. and it's being threatened, um, then you have a responsibility to call that out and mm -hmm. work towards restoring justice. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's one of the most compelling perspectives from Dr. King to me is this, no, 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 you don't have a, this isn't up to you to like get in the game or not. You're in the game. Mm -hmm. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have a responsibility to, uh, to address the brokenness in this, specifically the injustice, the oppression um, in whatever form exists around you. We're going to listen to a couple of clips from King himself. Here's one near the beginning of, um, of this sermon where he's talking about how people are coming to the church looking for the bread of hope, faith, and love. I see men and women by the thousands running toward the church of God trying to get the bread of faith, the bread of hope, the bread of love. Now go with me a little further, if you will. You remember when that man knocked on the door? The man on the inside said in substance, don't bother me. I'm busy. My children are in the bed and I'm engaged in something else. Don't worry me. So that man from within left the man on the outside disappointed at the hour of his greatest need. And oh, my friends of Mount Zion, I come to you this morning having to honestly admit that the church has often left men and women disappointed at the greatest hour of need. Good. So there's his premise. And then the image that he provides is this image of this knock at midnight, this interruption in the middle of this night, in this, in, this inconvenient time. Um, what might be interrupting the church's sense of stability or security or um, peace at midnight? In other words, how might the church be like the person inside who says, don't bother me right now? I think oftentimes the church does get comfortable where we're at, what we're doing, and the idea of something on the outside bothering us is not something that we often um, welcome mm -hmm. because it may, it's uncomfortable. I, I literally was thinking when Nathan um, brought this to us, um, the knock at midnight, I was thinking, I wonder if I should go over to the Oates house and bang on their door at midnight and just... Just kind of have my camera ready, see what kind of reaction that would be. And, um, and last night, as I was going to sleep, I was thinking, what if somebody banged on our door an hour and a half from now? Like, what yeah. would my reaction be? Would it be to jump out and go, there's somebody in need and I want to help them? Mm. Or would it be, you know, something more aggressive and mm -hmm. the more upset tied to it? Yeah. Um, because... The parable talks about this person being tucked in. Yeah. Everybody's settled. They're comfortable. Mm -hmm. And that apparently is a, maybe a dangerous place to find yourself. Yeah. Yeah, at least it amplifies the reality that it's rarely convenient <laughs> to try to solve a problem, right? Uh, it's rarely convenient. It mm -hmm. usually takes a level of intentionality to actually address uh, a need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It may not ever really feel like a good time to do it. 
also wanted to mention that I know this parable, Martin Luther King Jr. has flipped it because yeah. it is about prayer. Right. And he's talking about the church on the inside responding to the knock. Yeah. And as we've discussed this, um, we also are very aware that there's people here who are knocking. Right. Or maybe even thinking about knocking, that they need, they need what's offered. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, it's not an either or. Mm -hmm. It's all of us are hurting at different times in our life. We have wounds that we carry with us. So we may be knocking and we may have resources to give. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a both and, mm -hmm. not an either or yeah. situation. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. The third part of the sermon after the, the image piece is the problem. Um, and essentially, King articulates the problem as people are disappointed with the church. Uh, we have not responded to the knock on the door of the church. Um, and it, he issues this powerful indictment. He says this. He says, millions of Africans patiently knocking on the door of the Christian church where they seek the bread of social justice have either been altogether ignored or told to wait till, until later, which almost always means never. Millions of American Negroes, he says, starving for the want of the bread of freedom have knocked again and again on the door of so-called white churches, but they have usually been greeted with cold indifference or a blatant hypocrisy. I wanted to ask you guys to just share a response to such a potent indictment of, we're disappointed in you. <laughs> the culture is disappointed in you. Um, historically, we're disappointed in you. How do you respond to something like that? Really quickly before you talk, because I know you have something to say. Um, I think it's really interesting. Like I noticed his verbiage when he's talking about like so-called white churches. Yeah. He's doing that on purpose right. because he is wanting to say that this, it's not supposed to be segregated. Right. Like right. there shouldn't be this black church and a, and a white church. Mm -hmm. um, that It's supposed to be this universal church. Everybody uh, worshiping in the same space and right. respecting each other yeah, um, and a higher yeah. point of identity right totally. a citizenship in the kingdom mm -hmm. right yeah and yeah. not uh separated based on the color of your skin mm -hmm. yeah. good and uh to identify um to be more specific or to identify kind of like i guess we're not up here to like try to solve the issue or anything mm -hmm. like that but just to bring and bring some enlightenment yeah, to make it personal yeah um you know that this that this discussion about race in this in this country is is complicated. It's multi-layered. There's um, deep-rooted uh, policy systemic issues that have been going on since the arrival of the first slave ships, mm -hmm. like on this soil. And um, basically, those things were implemented in a way to keep those in power in power. Right. Um, and although a blacks, we you know, appear to have gained some level of financial uh, prosperity, uh, political influence, you know, freedoms that did not even exist, you know, just at the time of this, this is only 50 years ago. So there's probably people in here that, you know, would have heard Dr. King speak, mm -hmm. you know, on, on TV or, mm -hmm. or over the radio. Um, so it's not that long ago, because right. 50 is young. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, some things are rooted so deep, you know, so painfully deep mm -hmm. that me and myself won't probably live long enough to, to see these things um, change. Um, 
and then, uh, you know, just a few months ago, uh, you know, LeBron James, and I'm not opening up the argument in terms of who's better, Jordan or, Le or LeBron here, <laughs> but, uh, but to be more specific, I mean, he had, you know, he had the N-word, like, spray painted on his home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he lives in a neighborhood where there's probably more security mm -hmm. uh, and, and than the president has. Mm -hmm. And he can certainly afford, he himself, LeBron can certainly afford to get you know, the acts, you know, cameras and all that stuff, yeah. you know, and, you know, in his home. And yet a group of people decided or, or a person decided to remind him mm. that he's less than human. Mm. And that doesn't matter how much money he has or what mm. particular influence he has, you know, he's still less than. Mm. And that's quite sad. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's just something that, 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 that should not happen. Right. Absolutely, right, right. Other thoughts about the assertion that the church has left people outside knocking? I think there's a lot of examples uh, besides just race, even though that's a really major one in like the North American Christian church, mm -hmm. um, of people coming to the church to you know, get, have just injustice called out, mm -hmm. um, healing, mm -hmm actual like just physical needs yeah. there's a lot of instances of people being too tired or people being too comfortable mm -hmm. um, and not wanting to engage in those kinds of issues yeah. or people um you know even my age who have had hurtful experiences in the church or their mm -hmm. parents have and so they're like we're just not going to put ourselves in the situation mm -hmm. to be hurt anymore like mm -hmm. why are we still going back to this yeah. broken yeah. system mm -hmm. um so there's I think that also, just a lot of mm -hmm. mental despair or um, relation, broken relationships mm -hmm. really what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. A few years ago, my family and I went to, um, it was during Thanksgiving, we went to a local church, different community to serve. They were doing something to serve, and so we went. They didn't know us, we didn't know them, and they were so sad, and we, we just felt like <laughs> we weren't welcomed we, we, as soon as we were done doing what they asked us to do, we were like, let's go. And it felt so odd, like, what's missing here? And we, um, from there, we went to Denny's. It was Thanksgiving. So. It actually started a new family tradition. Um, but what we noticed were that was that the people at Denny's, the employees, the people eating there, they were happier than the people at the church. And we, we all noted it. It was like, this is... Your happiness is what was missing in this church experience we just had. Mm. And I think sometimes that's what disappoints people is they mm -hmm. go looking for that mm -hmm. and it's not there. Mm -hmm. um, and in my, in my work, I've worked with a lot of, um, a lot of children that have been deeply depressed. Um, we did some work with Homeboy Industries, which is a gang outreach down in Southern California. The founder of that industry, Father Greg, wrote a book called Tattoos on the Heart. It kind of reads like a, um, just a journal of his experience of starting that. And he wrote that the gang members that they were reaching out to, they discovered they were experiencing a lethal absence of hope, which is a powerful phrase. Mm -hmm. We talk about people not having hope as if it's just something they can pick up somewhere mm -hmm. in the store. Mm -hmm. But it's like a lethal absence of hope hope will kill somebody. Mm -hmm. You have no, no hope of what's next, so why do anything? Mm -hmm. yeah. 
One of the things that's so powerful to me about King's preaching is, and his message is that not only does he address really specific um, policy issues, you think about the real practical things like the bus boycott, um, but he also brings it back to something that I think anybody can really access, which is this call to, to love. So here's a clip where he, he kind of points his audience back to this, we know how to address this, these injustices, this disappointment in the church. We're going to address it by loving people. So often, the church has left men and women disappointed at midnight. There are men who stand up in the pulpit and preach every Sunday. I'm speaking now of white preachers. And yet they can look at racial injustice and never open their mouths against it. We would have peace in this world today. We could have peace in this world today. The church would really take a stand against it. There are almost a billion Christians in the world. Never forget that. We got to go back to the fervor of the early church. Early Christians would not fight war. Stood up before Caesar and Caesar's household. Said, no, we will not fight war. Sometimes because they wouldn't obey the the edicts of the Roman Empire, they were thrown into the lion's den. They were thrown on the chopping block. And they went there with a hymn on their lips and praises to God. And they often went there smiling. And somebody would say, what is it that makes you so happy? Is it in your ecclesiastical machinery? No. Is it in your creedal system? No, it's not merely that. What is it then? We are happy and we are inspired because we love the brethren. That is what it is. We've got to recapture that. I don't want to sound provincial and say that all of the problems are just the so-called white church. The Negro church has often left men and women disappointed at midnight. We have two types of Negro churches that leave men disappointed at midnight. One uh, freezes up and the other one burns up. Some of the, some of the passion um, behind some of these words from King are fueled by this, like, how is it still this way 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation? You know, this presidential edict that, that kicks off the freeing of slavery. How have we not moved this ball forward in a hundred years? You know? um, and then here we are, 150 years after the Civil War, 50 plus years after the Civil Rights Movement, and race is a bigger issue, uh, arguably, in some ways. Uh, race is still a front burner issue dividing uh, our culture as severely as it has ever. What's, wh- why is that from your perspective? Wh- why the cold indifference to such a, such a strong problem, a problem that's hung around for so long? 
Why, why can't we get over this, get through this, get around this better? Well, uh, Sienna said something uh, yesterday while we were meeting and I made sure I, I wrote it down and it says, or she had said that uh, you can't legislate out racism. Mm -hmm. So there isn't gonna be any rules on the books mm -hmm. or, or anything of that nature that you can put on there that's going to, that's gonna touch people in a way mm -hmm. that's gonna make them act differently. Mm -hmm. um, because at the root of the at the root of the issue, it's it's a heart condition. Yeah, it's 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 not it's not knowing our our Savior Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. and not knowing that that He can root out all of the the indifference that you have in your soul mm -hmm. to be able to serve and and, and love people in 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 a, in a way um, that that d defeats everything. Yeah. I mean, He conquered death, so that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. a quote that I that I had that um, actually when I was driving um, from Thanksgiving that I heard um, John Piper say, and I'm not mm -hmm. sure if anybody's familiar with John Piper, but, um, and then he was kind of paraphrasing a quote from C.S. Lewis, but uh, what John Piper said was, the spiritual condition of a person's soul is infinitely more important than any political transaction on the face of the earth, mm -hmm. more important. And then C.S. Lewis says, the salvation of a single soul is more important than the production or preservation of all the epics and tragedies in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, it's it's not about taking sides or anything like that. It's about you know who are you following, who are you following, who are you serving, yeah. and um, you know Dr. King serves the Lord. We all here serve the Lord, um, and that's who we need to take our 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 rules from because. Quite frankly, there are probably rules on the books that, or, or regulations, or those sort of things that are that are probably unjust. Mm -hmm. And you know, the arguments always said, "Well, you got to follow the rules." Well, I don't know. Jesus is came to fulfill the law. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yes, I'm not going to speed 100 miles an hour on the freeway, mm -hmm. but if I'm getting to somebody that I care about or whatnot, I'm willing to do anything and everything that I care about to get to that person. Yeah. And so be it if the cop pulls me over, yeah. you know, I don't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't want, to ha want that right, to happen. Right. But nevertheless, sometimes you have to push through the, you have to push through and, and, and really, really follow and seek, and seek what, what does the kingdom say about yeah. this? Right. One of the most challenging things about studying Dr. King for me has been the fact that like he's a man of the church who's criticizing the church. Mm -hmm. um, he is like being very clear about how the church has let people down, not mm -hmm. been there for families and individuals mm -hmm. um, and, and an entire country. Mm -hmm. But he's also saying, I'm saying this because I love the church. Like this is my home, this is my calling, this is what I believe mm -hmm. we're, we're meant to engage in. Mm -hmm. And here are the ways that it's failed. That gives me a lot of peace that I can be mm -hmm. a part of the church and criticize the church. Mm -hmm. That I can be honest about the ways that we're failing people mm -hmm. and still wholeheartedly engage in the restoration of all things yeah. um, to combat that. Yeah, that's well said, good job. Yeah, so what I'm hearing here is the church has access to, at a unique level, this heart-changing power. If the root of racism is the, is the carnal heart, is the selfish heart, and, and the only way to, you can't legislate it out, we gotta have a changed heart. The church is, is the community with access to this heart-changing power, and yet, tragically, the church, because we don't want to divide, uh, have often decided to just not address the issue. Um, because if we do jump all the way in, it, maybe it's going to split the church, and um, 
and Christians throughout the history of our country at least have, have disagreed on um, everything from the legitimacy of slavery to uh, more modern racially related uh, behaviors and attitudes and, and laws. So uh, somehow we've excused ourselves from a conversation that we're the only ones that have the power to actually do anything about. And, and that's tragic. Oh, I'm sorry if I can add, because I think it fits here better than it did last time. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we did this twice, the second time. Cats out the bag, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> this one's the best so far. Yeah. <laughs> but um, um, the church doesn't necessarily need to endorse or have a particular um, person or, or peoples that they need that they need to endorse. I mean, I think that it's it's okay to have conversations about you know what Jesus says about certain things. And the Bible doesn't have everything all written down in terms of like the answer. But you know the Holy Spirit will will, will guide you if you're really really truly seeking and, and and putting those things out there. It's not it's not for us to like hey you know this person or that person or whatnot is like they're here, mm -hmm. um, they're, they're for us, that doesn't, need to, that doesn't need to happen. So what you're saying is we don't have to, we may align ourselves with a certain political party because it, it's the best fit, and yet there may be some place in which the teachings of Jesus really go against the official perspective of the party. Absolutely. And we shouldn't have to feel like because we engage, because we prioritize the teachings of Jesus on this issue, that we're therefore now you know, breaking rank with the party or something. Yeah, engaging in social injustice is really messy, but it's also not optional. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're going to align yourself with Christ, then you're going to align yourself with justice. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to, I mean, you're going to be with people who are not making good decisions, which means you're going to be associated with those people. You're going to mm -hmm. be in the messiness mm -hmm. and in the brokenness mm -hmm. and, um, you know, in some ways, maybe even compromising your own health to do to do that. Mm -hmm. But it's not like an extra part that some certain passionate Christians yeah. can engage in. Yeah. Um, it's the responsibility of everybody who, who loves Jesus and loves the church to yeah. love the people yeah. as well. That's good. In the final part of the sermon, uh, King points us towards a challenge, towards a solution. And essentially his question is, why does the man outside the door keep knocking? Let's listen to this. We must never leave men and women disappointed at midnight. Come on with me a little further, and I'm about to close out, but there are one or two other things I want to say. The interesting thing is that after that man knocked on that door, the man on the inside didn't open the door. The man on the outside kept knocking, the passage uses the big word, importunity. Importunity means persistence, perseverance. It means, you know, to, to keep on keeping on. It means staying with it. And it says that that man just kept knocking. Now, if you would allow me to use my imagination a minute, I'll tell you why he kept knocking. He realized that there's some bread in that house. You see, if he had thought for one minute that there wasn't any bread in that house, he would have gone on to the, to the next house. He wouldn't have been wasting his time around there after he had been disappointed if he had thought there was no bread there. But deep down within, that man knew that there was some bread in that house. No, oh, this is what we must hear today as a church. 
This is what I want to leave with the men here this morning and all of the members. Mount Zion, you have the bread of life. Keep the bread fresh. Don't, get, don't let it get stale because somebody is coming by here to try to find a little bread. Some young man disillusioned about life is going to come by here one day try to get the bread of faith and the bread of hope, keep it fresh. I love how you can hear like his whole church in the background. I Wasn't I just, I was just thinking yeah. about the same thing. You know what, everybody should take a field trip to a black church <laughs> and, and get some of that in you and bring it here. There we go. I'm just, I'm just saying, like well, that needs to happen. Man, thank you, Sienna. I'm glad you broke the seal on that one. I mean, Daryl does it like every week. I hear him over there. He's talking. That's good. So don't think Anglin's crazy when he's back there doing that thing, because I'm going to start it, like, starting next week. Okay. That's good. You all should speak more. So I just love that. He's still knocking because he knows there's bread in the house. That's why he's still knocking. If he didn't know there was bread, he wouldn't keep knocking. And... Despite what a lot of people are saying, uh, in terms of the, the growth or lack thereof of the Christian church in America, people are still knocking at the door of the Christian church. People are still coming to church. People are coming to church for the first time in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s. Right. Why? Why are people still knocking? Let's wrap up with that. Why are people still knocking? What are they looking for today in the church? I think that everybody is still looking for this confirmation that they're loved and they're valued and they, um, they have a team and a community behind them that's going to instill this basic human dignity. Like mm -hmm. You're valuable and your needs are valuable. Mm -hmm. um, and just writing the paradigm that the rest of the world can operate with, that like there are exceptions to human dignity mm. and being the, a church of, with unconditional love and saying it doesn't really matter where you come from or where you've been, mm -hmm. um, but we're going to love you anyway. That's good. That's great. Um, I'm very privileged to be able to serve um, in a capacity at the foundry where, um, and I'm just speaking for myself, but just being there in, in, in that place in the space and seeing kids come in from all different backgrounds, uh, social economic things that are going on in their life, uh, pains, whatever it may be, it's, it's just kind of a conglomerate of, of young people. And um, you know, it's kind of known as, as Switzerland, mm -hmm. uh, because I'm not sure, I actually don't even know the history of Switzerland myself, but people say Switzerland is like neutral or whatnot, so yeah. I'm kind of just following the lead on that, so somebody can feel free to, to text me on the shoulder and be like, Anglin, actually Switzerland is the devil, like, and I'll, <laughs> and I'll stop, and I'll stop doing it, but, uh, but in any event, um, you know, I get, I get the opportunity to be able to sit down with kids, and it's just, it's just so beautiful to see, you know, just, um, you know, kids come in there, they're playing video games with them and like literally just the other day you know a kid's with me and he's sitting there and he wants to show me his phone and I'm like and he's like oh I want to show you this he goes to Lincoln High School and he goes he's on the marching band and he just wants to show me like how the intricacies of them walking like in in and out of the movements and yeah. all that sort of stuff yeah. and playing the music and it's just like it's just so beautiful because he can care less about like you know, anything about me as color of my skin, what's going on in my life, none of that stuff. All he cares about is just the interaction and, and the love yeah. that's being presented at that moment when you're just there with, with him in yeah. that presence. And 
and, you know, hopefully during dialogue and whatnot, as, as he begins to open up and he's like, and any, maybe that, that option will come up where he's like, man, what's so different about you? Right. You know, you're taking the time to like talk with me and all this yep. stuff. Yep. And that's where I get that my opportunity to be able to be like, let me tell you about my father. Let me tell you about Jesus, my mm -hmm. Abba. Let me tell you about what makes me tick. Yep. And those are just those those opportunities that that I just love and then yep. to seek in just a practical, practical yep. manner because the space of itself is there for the community. Right. But to be able to serve and, and be that light of Christ yep. to individuals and, and have others see that is just it's just beautiful. It's good. Yeah. People are still knocking, looking for a sense of human dignity, looking for someone to care for them, someone to listen to them, someone to share with. Why else are people knocking? What are they looking for? Well, I shared earlier that when I first came to Christ, I came to Christ through my wife. Um, I had a lot of a list of things about what was keeping me from following Christ, obstacles. Um, but there were two scriptures that just brought me in, and one of them was um, that we are to love one another. Like, this is a movement to love one another, and I thought, okay, I can sign up for that. Hmm. Um, and the other uh, verse of scripture was that God is a father to the fatherless. Mm -hmm. I, I had a father. It wasn't a, a bad father, but that just rang so true to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think the church is supposed to be that. Right. We will model for others how yeah. to love one another. Yeah. And um, that's maybe in a place where we get comfortable and we think we do that and we just need to mm -hmm. maybe practice it. Because mm -hmm. you don't learn how to do that through a keynote presentation or something. Right, right. through practice. Stephen, would you wrap us up? Talk to us about bread that's broken and talk to us about this, that final quote. Sure. Um, one of the things that this um, whole exercise for us has brought up for me, there's a book by Henry Nouwen that um, he speaks of us as the beloved, and he uses bread as a metaphor, that we are taken, we are blessed, we are broken, and we are given. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's a beautiful picture, that we, we all have that in common. Um, specifically, we are broken. And... Um, we use our brokenness yeah. to help others in their brokenness. Right. There's none of us that are waiting to be made whole so that we can help someone else become whole. We, we're, we're all of it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, broken to be given. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we'll conclude with this. This is um, from the Talmud. It's an ancient Hebrew writing. Some of this is familiar to you because it's right out of scripture. This helps me when I think of how big the issues are in our society and how I think oh, I, can't, mm -hmm. I can't make a dent. Mm -hmm. And then I just kind of wait for somebody else where I, I don't push into that. It says, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. That's good. That's good. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, we invite your spirit to work in our hearts and minds, specifically through these issues that we've uh, uncovered in the last few weeks, new questions, new perspectives. 
And then even more specifically, this issue of injustice and even racial injustice that we're talking about today. We're not seeing a lot of compelling solutions motivated by Jesus. And we pray that we could become one, that you would guide us forward, help us to do good, wholesome, healing work in these areas that are so complicated and so, um, so deeply um, hurtful that it's just easier not to address it. It's easier just to overlook it. We don't want to be we don't want to be in that category. We want to be a part of the solution. So we pray for your guidance. We absolutely need it. May we surrender our lives to you as king, and may we follow you as you restore all things. In Jesus' name, amen.